Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody, it's your Ed Asner Wizard, Holden McNeely. Everybody down. Shh, shh, shh. Little bit quiet. Laving. Hi, I'm Freakazoid, the hilarious teen superhero that talks like a 1940s Jewish comedian sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I am so excited to bring you guys this episode because we got the guy. Yeah. We got Paul, one of the guys, but but the a guy. very essential guy. I feel like Freakazoid guy. would not be Freakazoid without this man. We got the uh the voice actor slash writer on slash Freakazoid. Story editor slash yeah. everything. Like, that's the cool thing about this get is getting Paul Rugg, uh voice of Freakazoid. With that, we also do get like he doesn't just voice the character. He's also helping being the comedic voice of the character, not just because he did get to do quite a lot of improvisation, as we talk about in our interview, uh, but also he did a lot of the writing. Mm-hmm. So uh, you really are getting kind of such a good, full you know, understanding of what that whole show was and getting into it. And I'm just so uh, excited we, we got to do that. So we're going to go to the interview in just a little bit, but we just had a couple of... House cleaning, little things we wanted to uh, talk about uh, before we get in. I mean, can you, I mean, we, we definitely get into it in the interview, Jake, but can you kind of, for anybody who's like, what is this show? Like me, maybe, because this is a show where I don't, I don't even know how this happened. I think it's just because I didn't watch the WB. I think it literally <laughs> just came down to the fact that I just didn't really watch that channel. Like I watched Fox um, animation stuff because I was a big Tiny Toons fan, big Animaniacs fan. Batman the Animated Series, X-Men Batman the, the Animated, animated Series. Series. Yeah, every, This is essentially, this show is the insane mashup of Batman the Animated Series and Animaniacs, mm-hmm. which are two of the strongest cartoons from my, my our childhood, Jake, right? And uh, I think of all time. And then you they got put into a blender and out came this insane show Freakazoid, which I at least can say no nostalgia involved because I wasn't a fan of the show when it came out. It holds the fuck up. It is funny. It is surprising. The animation is incredible. But Jake, you were a fan from the beginning. You were the one who pushed for this show the most, uh, this episode topic. So give me the goods. Uh, I was 11 years old when this show premiered, and it was 
everything I ever wanted in an entertainment program before I even had the words to describe what I wanted. It was irreverent. It was random. It was zany. It was full of all these insider showbiz fourth wall breaks. And it was a parody of superheroes in a way that uh, it was the fact that it was a superhero show was almost secondary and they would lampshade like, oh, this is the part where we would like fight the villain. Too bad. We're going to show weird old clips of people dancing in lederhosen. Yeah, we didn't even talk about with him the live action element stuff that would happen. These weird old, this weird old footage. They just had access to like the Warner Brothers archives and and would just find these bizarre, you know. And, and yeah, I mean, definitely Monty Python comes up a few times as an influence uh, on the show. And that is very clear because, yeah, there's no concern when it comes to like, finishing a storyline a lot of times or like, you know, finishing a, a even a, a bit, you know, it would just, one thing would just flow into the next. You never know what was going to happen and you didn't need to because just being on that ride was so much fun and you could just tell, and I'm so glad this was confirmed by uh, Paul Rugg, but you could just tell that these were a group of people that were just having a great fucking time making a show together. This was the dark child of the Kids WB block uh, did not get the ratings, did not get the uh, toy lines, did not get anything that would, uh, you know, it's I remember feeling like weird for liking it so much. You could tell from the way it was promoted. You could tell even from like in the show, they would talk about how like, I don't know if we're going to get a se- another season out of this or like, oh, the censors really hated that one. Right. And so this just every week I would just like. It was destination television. It felt so special. And I would crack up laughing. I would die laughing. And there's so much to it that it it bled over into internet culture. There's, uh, you know, the candle jack meme came from this. The, uh, you know, that uh, uh, Dexter, you spent all day at the computer. Like, why? He's like, it's my life. Oh, that's so very, very sad. It was oddly prescient. (laughs) Yeah. The way they incorporated the internet and how it kind of foretold a lot of the anti-socialness of online uh, life uh, years before, you know, broadband became a thing. And so just it left a lasting impact to a lot of kids. And it had a secondary kind of long tail on reruns on Cartoon Network. And it always stuck around. They recently did a kind of reunion-ish episode a couple years back on Teen Titans Go called Hugbees, where they got Cosgrove, they got Ed Asner as Cosgrove. They got a lot of these uh, OG voice actors, uh, several of whom have passed since then. So mm. like, it's like a fun little send-off for the right. series if you're curious about that. But uh, when we introduced the topic, we we're like, well, do we do Kids WB? Do we do Animaniacs? And then I was like, I really like Freakazoid and our fans over at Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash Whizbrew, we're all in unison. We're like, no, it has to be Freakazoid. And I feel like there's something about Freakazoid that resonates with the LPN diehards. Yeah. That same level of just complete don't give a shit energy with just a little bit of hot cha 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 theatricality that, uh, you know, it was a match made in heaven. And I never really revisited the show. Uh, as an adult until we did this episode yeah, and I and was so glad we did getting to rewatch this I had to go to a shady site you, I think you can buy individual episodes on Amazon video but this show really is the definition of a cult classic mm-hmm. it was only two seasons it is like if if I meet you and you're around my age and I find out you're a Freakazoid fan 
we're going to be friends. Yeah. I already need to know everything I need to know about. Yeah, yeah. It it, it really is uh, impressive. Uh, I, I, I absolutely loved it. And it is cool to also hear, uh, you know, we have a parent in our group who's show, showing it to their kid and, and the, uh, you know, holds up in that way as well. Uh, it's one of those fun... Just fun shows that I just think that it's kind of timeless too. Even though, yeah, there's references to the internet. There's the most dated references to the most da- like dated pop culture things that even the kids at the time wouldn't get, which is uh, works in a weird way. A lot see, of Barbara Streisand yeah, jokes. Yeah, see Barbara <laughs> Streisand on, on the screen a lot and. But again, it's just so zany and nonsensical and over the top and and fun. And then at the same time, you have all this like the production is a lot of Batman the Animated Series people mixed in. So there's a lot of this uh, infusion of like a deadpan approach to um, to the whole thing. And, you know, because of that much more self-serious work uh, that they were coming from, it just created this melting pot, this perfect fusion of just that made for such a fascinating, uh, fun pro- product. So before we get into the Paul Rugg interview, we had a couple things, some stuff to kind of tee it up to, to where Paul Rugg enters the, the show, because originally it was more helmed by uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Timm from uh, from Batman the Animated Series. Bruce Timm was the character designer and art director for a lot of the uh, DC Animated Universe. Um, and Paul Dini was a prolific writer on the show. Famously, he created the character of Harley Quinn. We kind of get into uh, his contributions on our Harley Quinn episode if you want to like learn more about that. And um, yeah, no, you can find the original concept art of that. And Freakazoid is not a vaudevillian kind of uh, agent of Mad Magazine chaos in that. He's more of like a, like a sarcastic Spider-Man kind of just like, nice try, fatso. Like, maybe you should join Jenny Craig, like kind of, uh, you know, insult while he's like trying to go on dates and be a cool teen superhero. And that is not what the final show was about at all. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how that got turned around. Uh, uh, definitely, uh, largely, I think Spielberg, right? Spielberg's the one who's like, uh, yeah, I get this, but we, we I want a wackadoo. And I think it's because Spielberg was, very into Animaniacs mm-hmm. at the time, and I think wanted to be able to continue that uh, uh, that vibe forward as well. And and again, that's how we get to it. But before we get to that, I will also just say, then you also have the element of the kids WB. So this programming block is quickly established not long after the WB was established as a TV network, which started up in 1993 with a formal launch in January of 1995. And this actually happened because of legislation. There was a repeat of the financial interest and syndication rules established by the FCC in an attempt to keep the three big networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, from monopolizing the broadcast landscape by limiting the money they could make on their own programming after the first time a show aired, i.e. limiting syndication profits. So once that was established in the 70s, it was repealed in the mid-80s, and that's when the Fox network showed up. Because of that very thing, they said, oh, we can actually make a profit with our own network now. They established Fox. Fox, WB starts uh, uh, putting shows out on Fox, obviously Tiny Toons, uh, as well as Animaniacs, 
And uh, uh, seeing the success of the Fox Network, they're like, maybe we could create our own content on our own network and do it that way. So that's why Kids WB was like a no-brainer for them because they'd already had animation projects very successfully mm. running on Fox. So the Kids WB starts up in the September of 1995. They have a Saturday morning block from 8 to 11.30 a.m. as well as a weekday afternoon block from 4 to 5 p.m. The WB had already seen the success of their work over on Fox with shows like like Animaniacs, like I said, Batman the Animated Series. So um, they get those uh, animation projects going. The whole operation is helmed. We, we talk about it all throughout the interview. Gene McCurdy, uh, who started out as a secretary in the children's programming department at NBC, and eventually she gets promoted to director of children's programs uh, over there before being hired by Warner Brothers Animation. Uh, she ends up actually leaving Warner Brothers for a little while to work for Hanna-Barbera in the 80s. And then for Marvel as well uh, before being rehired at Warner Brothers. It was actually kind of perfect for her because she was able to meet a bunch of animators. She ended up pulling over oh, to yeah. the WB because she did that. And working with Marvel, I think she gets like kind of an understanding of the superhero thing. Right. So and then and because then we get to Batman, the animated series. That's a weird mirror to the story of Fred Seabird at Cartoon mm. Network, who also did a stint at Hanna-Barbera and also stole a bunch of animators for their his own yeah, projects. I mean, Paul Dini, she pulled from Hanna-Barbera. That's that's amazing. Uh, and uh, also, uh, yeah. She, and then she works with Steven Spielberg uh, uh, on Tiny Toon Adventures. And that ends up being a big hit for the studio and what kind of pushes them forward. So you already explained everything with Bruce. Tim and Paul Dini. Um, uh, essentially, Tim uh, ends up over at Warner Brothers at first to draw Tiny Toon Adventures. Later, he and Paul Dini become pioneers of the DC animated universe together. As I already mentioned, Dini gets pulled from uh, over from Hanna Barbera, um, and so Bruce Tim gets a phone call. That blows his mind. Steven Spielberg not only loves Batman the Animated Series, he wants to work with Tim on an animation project. So their initial meeting, as we mentioned, they've got uh, uh, this character uh, that's based more in a... It's more Batman-y, but with some quippiness. Apparently the name Freakazoid just kind of fell out of his mouth in that meeting. Oh, I mean, there's that uh, song from like the 80s. I I am a Freakazoid. Come on and wind me. So it just kind of plops out of him in that meeting, and it's it's uh, you know uh, it was it was very quickly turned into this comedy show that essentially Bruce Tim felt was like now I'm out of my element. This isn't really my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why Bruce Tim ends up stepping away. Uh, Paul Dini was still involved though. No, right? no, yeah, he wrote multiple episodes. He shows up in cameos. Uh, the character of Fanboy is kind of modeled after him, uh-huh. and there is a minor controversy with the character of Freakazoid. That um, he bears, uh, at least many people have drawn a resemblance to uh, him and Mike Allred's character, Madman, who was this like indie superhero character yes. from around the same era. And uh, both wear kind of a uh, singlet kind of uniform, both have a large exclamation point, both are known for having a very non sequitur, uh, irreverent sense of humor, and um, especially. In the concept art that I've seen from Bruce Tim, Mike Allred does a lot of like great poses of like leaps and jumps and like kind of acrobatic uh, characters in motion. And a lot of the concept art that Bruce Tim did had Freakazoid jumping around and posing in a very similar way to Madman. Um, I will say, having read a lot of Madman from this era, because I was looking for that angle, the final character of Freakazoid 
is completely different. I think Paul Rugg really just ran away with that character. Uh, Madman's kind of more of a deadpan reactor to outlandish things. Um, there's, I guess, the, spiritually, Freakazoid has like the lightning in his hair, and like there's a little bit of a uh, kind of kitschy Frankenstein energy that Madman also has a lot of like 1950s super science aliens, ray guns. Uh, kind of energy to it. I feel like maybe there was an unconscious like cribbing in the initial conception of the character's like aesthetic and look. But really, truly, if you read old Madman comics, I it is not Freakazoid at all. Yeah, uh, Alred did uh, n- never, of course, pursued any legal stuff with it. He did, however, say, I simply wrote a friendly letter to Steven Spielberg telling him his production was a direct lift of my creation. I had no intention of creating ripples. I just wanted him to know that I knew um, because because Bruce Tim apparently told him that it was influence, mm. right? Um, no one replied, which is fine. And to be honest, Madman is an amalgam of a half dozen other influences. Mm. So who am I to complain? The exclamation mark on the chest still kind of irks me the a little though, a little too close for comfort. But other than that, um, you know, and I would say uh, agreed. Like that, the characters served, and I think it's one of those shows where, like, oh, this is about a superhero, and then like so much of the show has nothing to do with <laughs> being a superhero. Yeah. Like a, a, as we'll get more into, almost defiantly not about being a superhero. Yeah, like almost. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. Um, uh, the only other thing I have before we, everything else is in the interview uh, that we did, but I will say uh, after Bruce Tim leaves, uh, Tom Ruger uh, is brought in to rework the series altogether. Ruger started at, out at Hanna-Barbera in 1978, assisting some animation legends over there for a decade, then joined Warner Brothers Animation in 1989 to work with Steven Spielberg on Tiny Toons, then Animaniacs, Ruger said. I think when you let creative people do what they want to do, when you really take off the shackles and let go of the reins and let funny creative people do their best, it makes a huge difference. Uh, and that is just so clear in our interview. Uh, Paul Rugg, uh, you'll hear talks a lot about how how uh, he was totally unrestrained, got to make so many fun choices, and it was a great time. And uh, um, so, yeah, Rugger brings in writers John McCann and Paul Rugg, who you're about to hear from. Um, uh, and uh, that's when the whole thing starts really taking off. But they had no idea what it was going to be. And Paul's about to tell you uh, how they got from having no idea what the hell this is going to be to uh, a full-fledged, uh, unique, fascinating a cult hit TV show. This was a blast. You're going to love this. Enjoy. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
All right, welcome to Wizard and the Bruiser, Paul Rugg. I'm so excited to have you uh, do this show with us. I, I, I feel like you don't understand just how special your appearance is on this show because <laughs> week after week, we would always go into the background of histories of these various uh, hallmark moments in uh, mostly elder millennial pop culture history. Uh-huh. And it was like, well, according to this interview, but this documentary says otherwise. <laughs> and then like this Wikipedia article, which is definitely wrong. Yeah, definitely yeah. always yeah, wrong, yeah. but this, we're using it anyway. We're using yeah. it anyway, but we acknowledge the Wikipedia article. Right. This is the first time We've genuinely had someone that was there, that was in the room, that was instrumental. I mean, literally, you are Freakazoid. Freakazoid would not sound the way he does. He would not do the riffs that he does. He would not. It was the entire energy of the show can be pointed directly back to like your Eunice. And it's super exciting that you're here. So, well, thank you very much. And I just want to say, if Warner Brothers is considering a reboot, you heard what he said. <laughs> so you have to do it with me. Anyway. I mean, sorry. it really yeah. is in hindsight. Okay. So I have full admission to you. Yeah. Um, uh, I was a huge Tiny Toons fan, huge Animaniacs fan. Something happened. I kind of missed out on Freakazoid. This episode was largely driven by Jake really wanting to do a Freakazoid episode. And our fans. And our fans. Okay. He's very, very wise. You, unfortunately, we need to talk later after the show. <laughs> <laughs> and we, well, and I went and rewatched it, you know, in the lead up to this and was so bummed out that I wasn't <laughs> into it when it hit, when it dropped. It's so good. I think it still totally holds up maybe even more so now than ever because uh technically i'm more the demographic at points uh, <laughs> depending on the jokes you're hearing in the show than i was back then so you've been to prison then okay i saw your quote about that you were like yeah. if, if prisoners had access to freakazoid <laughs> it would have would never would have been canceled we would still be on man <laughs> So I guess I want to, I definitely want to get it, you know, because I know you came into Freakazoid, you got, you were attached to the project a little ways into development, Mm -hmm. but I don't think the story really starts there. Does the story start at Tiny Toons Adventures in terms of uh, your connection to, to all of this? Yeah, well, actually it starts with uh, Animaniacs. So they had just finished Tiny Toons. Uh, or they were they were editing it and they had just gone through their big run. I think they had just written How I Spent My Summer Vacation. Oh, yeah. And um, and I was doing improv with uh, Adam Carolla and John McCann uh-huh. and a bunch of other people. And uh, Was that at the Improv Asylum? No, that was at the Acme Comedy Theater. Okay. You remember them from that uh, Donnybrook they had, that like street brawl with the Groundlings back in 88. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was bad. It was There was nunchucks. There was all. Oh, there was knives. It was got yeah. really, really ugly. I mean, the object work was fantastic. I'm not debating that. Thank but you. <laughs> effective and deadly. So, you know, we're, yeah, we were just doing, you know, just having fun um i i was recently married and my wife and i were selling furniture on the lawn of our apartment in order to, to buy food and classic um, improviser story there you go and yeah i'm paying 75 dollars a month to have fun which uh, <laughs> is so anyone that complains out there and goes oh this is so hard is that okay you try making no money and paying 75 <laughs> a month to do improv for by the way might i say three people in an audience every friday uh but anyway, we're, you know, we're sort of doing our thing. And Sherry Stoner, who obviously is um, Tiny Toons, you know, she was uh, she was the story editor, producer. Um, her husband, Mark Sweeney, was our director in the Acme Comedy Theater. So so Sherry would come around every now and then. And I'll do this like Jerry. Sherry would come around every now and then. <laughs> and she would come and see. And she'd be like, you crazy kooks. You should be writing animation. <laughs> so when they were developing Animaniacs, um, 
we I met Tom Ruger, John McCann and I met Tom Ruger and he gave us this is before they even started. He gave me a script and gave Tom a uh, John a script. And then based on that, uh, we were hired and um, and then, uh, you know, worked the Animaniacs until uh, I think we did 65 episodes uh-huh. and then we did a few more in a second season. And um, and then that's when Freakazoid was sort of dropped on my lap or actually hit over my head. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they were like, uh, guess what you're doing? I was like, mm, what am I doing? They go, you're writing Freakazoid. And I was like, oh, no, not that show that I've heard has been like a hellish experience <laughs> for everyone that ever ever talked about it. And, um, and, and yeah, so then John McCann, Tom Ruger grabbed John McCann and I, and he let Peter Hastings run Animaniacs, and he said, we have, a, we have to get this show going, and we have nine months. So that's... That's the short story, uh, but it had been in development with Bruce Tim and Paul Dini. Yeah, and I was about to ask if, like, were you very aware of them and Batman in the animated series at that point? Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, I would when I write, I sort of write for like an hour and I cry and I get <laughs> you know, oh, it's terrible. I can't do <laughs> and I would go, I when I would go, was it the eighth floor? I would go down to the eighth floor and uh, hang out in Alan Burnett's office. And Alan Burnett was one of the producers of. Of Batman and Alan Burnett was a great. And Alan Burnett was like dad, you know. And you'd go in there, we'd sit, and then Paul Dini would come in, and uh, and I would see Bruce Bruce Tim. So there was a lot of like we we're all always hanging out on the Batman floor, ogling pictures of sexy clowns that Bruce was constantly <laughs> yes. drawing. I assume y- yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes, and and putting them in in a drawer. <laughs> and um, so uh, yeah, so I knew of them, and and you know we we. Pre- Warner Brothers back then, a lot of people don't really get it. We were just like this group of people, and there was the Batman group, and there was the other people group, and we were all on different floors, and just there was so much cross-pollination and having a bunch of fun. Um, so that, the, But that's sort of the way Warner Brothers were. And we were at, by the way, the Imperial Bank Building. Uh, we were not on the Warner Brothers lot. And we were where the Sherman Oaks Galleria was, which was this, this mall famous mall because it was like in a movie called valley girl or something mm. uh-huh. and, um, and it was it was just a very famous mall and it was kind of dying at that time like there were a lot of nail stores there was like the 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 hot you know tabasco store <laughs> i mean things that you just you do you don't necessarily a want. warner brothers store obviously the last uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah my galleria had a warner brothers store and we bought so many oh, leather dude, jackets yeah, with I, bugs bunny on it also and yeah. superman uh beer steins yeah yeah i would i had a warner brothers store by ball <laughs> as well actually and i got a bunch of uh great stuff from it including a watch with Bugs Bunny doing the nails of the big fair, furry red monster, which oh, was like yeah. one of my favorite Looney Tunes <laughs> scenes of all time. I met so many interesting people. Yeah, we didn't have one, though. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't have one. We would go to the lot. I want to actually go back, just walk back real quick to Animaniacs, just because, like, yeah. that sh- when that show dropped, like, Titan Teen Adventures was great, and I remember looking forward to that when I would, like, get home from school and stuff. But Animaniacs was completely on a different level. Like there was, there was like a sea change in in children's like comedy animation with Animaniacs, and maybe it also just it did and it made the effort to harken back to like the the classic Looney Tunes style in certain ways, especially like references that you might not get as a kid. But it doesn't matter because on some fundamental level, it still works. And then when you watch it later in life. 
you'll enjoy it. You know, you'll enjoy it even more mm-hmm. in that in that way, which I feel like also, you know, The Simpsons was doing that as well. Did you guys get a sense that you were like doing something like wholly original and very like? I mean, I think I, from my memory, I don't know if you, you know, maybe you remember it differently. I feel like Animaniacs was a huge hit with like. All the kids. Oh, no, it was a massive hit. Uh, tons of catchphrases. The educational songs were... Pinky the, and the Brain, the, obviously. Uh, my yeah. car, like, me and my sisters were constantly listening to the al- original album. Uh, for uh, We would argue on the playground about what the hell that song the clown was singing. <laughs> it's when the whipper will, whippers in the wind. Nice and chubby. The wind can't. I'm not. I'm not going to make you, but do it. I'm not going to make you like dance no, monkey. I'll. I'll. I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> when the whipper will uh, whip is in the wind, <laughs> the wind can't whip it back. Oh, nice and chubby, baby. <laughs> and of course, we had no bearing on the idea that. Oh well, this is especially funny because Jerry Lewis made a Holocaust movie about a clown. Like we did. We had no context for any of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. what was that working environment like? And what was? And did y'all have a sense that you were really like cre- kind of breaking some ground? I. Think feel like in animation at that point? Uh, um, I think that because it was my first real job, mm. like first real, um, that I, it, 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 it seemed to be just a natural step from the sketch comedy we've uh-huh. just been, been doing. And um, I, it's so weird. I don't, I, I think all this is due to Tom Ruger, uh, who's our executive producer on all those shows. And, and Steven Spielberg, um, I can't remember once, <laughs> once, uh, maybe once, actually. I, I won't say that. I remember once. But mostly, it, we never said, hey, you know, kids would really love this. <laughs> yes, which was the secret to it. it, it yeah, yeah, that shines through. Once I remember, I, I wrote, I, it was fairly early on, and I, I wrote something about, like, the, the Hannibal Lecter School of Acting or something. <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, and I think Tom Ruger goes, so, yeah, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay, fine. Um but that was the only time I ever, I ever got it, and <laughs> and I guess the difference or what we were doing was it was it was you know Sherry Stoner, Peter Hastings, John McCann, Randy Rogel, Tom Minton, uh, Nick Hollander, uh, Deanne Oliver, and what we were doing is we were just tr- we would go into each other's office and and make each other laugh, um, and. I, you know, I know it sounds trite or something, but it was like we were just having fun. On honest, although scripts for me, a script was never fun. Mm-hmm. It was like I would rewrite that first page for five days, and I go, "I'm going to get fired. <laughs> I'm going to get fired." <laughs> and then in the last like twelve hours, I go, <laughs> uh, "This, this, this happens." So I think that I, since I didn't know what the what the rules were, I was like, "Well, this must be how Hollywood goes." Right. You sit down at a table and you write some stuff, and then you give it to the producer, and he says, "You know what? I would use a different font." And you know, oh, I'm use a different font. <laughs> and you know, not to say we never had rewrites. We did. Uh, sometimes we get a script back from Tom, and it'd be filled with red marks and. But if you could look through all that, it was they were pretty simple because Tom was always thinking visually and stuff. Mm. But um, yeah, so I I don't think any of us really ever felt like, wow, this is special. We're right. a great group. We were just like, well, this is, the checks keep clearing. Uh-huh. And I guess we we can all you know kind of have eat, eat, eating with food. And did you have a sense of the popularity? The kids just absolutely loved it. I mean, was there there an understanding uh, of that? Because- eventually, yeah. But we started writing in '91. Uh huh. So that was like a year and a half to two year lead. And wow. 
So we were just writing and writing and writing. And then some of the stuff would start coming back from overseas. And then I remember the first thing I ever saw was a big candy store. And I remember I saw an animatic. Uh Uh-huh. And an animatic is, you know, is just sort of the drawings, but you know, it's it's sort of it animated, but there's no color, there's no music, there's no sound. And I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. I hate myself. I hate everything about it. And because I was new, I was not attuned to, well, you know, it's got to be edited and we're going to tighten it up and all that stuff. Um, but then as it started going and things started coming back, um, and it was colored, and and then Richard Stone got a hold of it, uh, who was our composer, and adding that, you know, Warner Brothers sound, um, we we're like, well, you know what, this is this isn't bad. I think a few kids will like this. Um, I think my parents will actually watch this. <laughs> and um, so there was there was that, and then, but we really didn't know until I remember taking a walk with Peter Hastings. Uh, Peter Hastings has now gone on to direct all kinds of movies and and do all kind kinds of stuff. And we were walking on what, like one of the hottest days in in the valley, which we would do sometimes during lunch. And we're both going, man, I don't I don't think people are going to like this show. And this is like <laughs> three weeks before we premiered. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's just weird. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> think people are going to like it. But and then Paul Dini came into the office pretty close a couple of days after that. Came down to Tom Ruger and said, hey, uh, have you ever heard of Comic Con? And Tom Ruger goes, no. And he goes, well, I got us a, a room and we can, we, can prim- we can show a couple things from Anim- Animaniacs there. And um, I had never heard of Comic-Con. I didn't know what it was. Tom Ruger was kind of like, I don't know what that is. But Paul Dini, obviously, he knew what that was. So we all went down to, um, to Comic-Con on a Saturday. And I remember it was, I don't know what the big hall there is, H or whatever it is. And we were in H. And there's a huge amount of people. And Tom Ruger talking goes, we want to show you this show called Animaniacs. And no one had seen anything. And we showed um, Hooked on a Ceiling, which was the, um, the Michelangelo does the Sistine Chapel. Oh, my God. Yeah, that one. Yeah. And um, we showed that. And within two milliseconds after that started, the audience was like laughing. And then they're laughing more. And then they keep laughing. And I remember Tom Ruger sort of looking at us going, I think they like this. (laughs) And then by the end, uh, right after that, then we showed them the main title. And and they were screaming. And this is like, this is great. It's wonderful. So after that, we were kind of like, yeah, okay. I think this is going to work. Yeah. (laughs) Just like someone talking about being in Hall H being like, Man, when I saw baloney in our slacks, it was like Dylan going electric, man. You knew you were something special was happening. Well, I think you nailed it with it. Like, that was like, this is so weird, but I think that's why people liked it so much, you know, because I came from the generation too that, you know, Ren and Stimpy, Rocco's Modern Life. I mean, we wanted weird. Yeah. We wanted as weird as we could get it. And I, I, that's what like lit us. I mean, that's what lit me up. Like, I'd seen so many cartoons at that point in my life, you know, so it was only something that was just going to be completely felt like something wholly yeah. different. And also, I, 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 you know, we cover this in a lot of other episodes that we do when it comes to children's entertainment. If you give kids that respect and and don't like play to them and just treat them, you know what I mean? It's the difference between respect and completely ignoring their needs or presence. <laughs> yes, that, that would be a, freakazoid. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. respecting kids, that's like blooming yeah, yeah, or something. Them by fully yeah. ignoring them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, 
anyways, so I guess, yeah, let's let's jump to the reason for the season, though, right? Freakazoid, unless you want to no, 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 ask no. anything else no, about it. I yeah. desperately uh, wanted just, I, I know, obviously, you were handed Freakazoid yeah. after the fallout from Bruce Timm and Paul Dini going for what has been, I mean, from your own mouth, you've told countless times it was uh, this teenage wisecracking superhero with kind of a 1950s uh, uh, kind of uh, wowie zow, a little bit campy, but he wasn't like zany. He was snarky. Yeah, it was yeah. kind of, I remember one of the huge things as a, as a small, I was 11 years old and I, I haven't gushed yet, but let me just say Freakazoid expanded my mind every Saturday. <laughs> I like came running to the Dubba Dubba WB waiting for it to appear. Uh, when there was hiatuses, I would get like sickly and clammy and shaking. <laughs> there was some magic there. And I think part of it was just trying to figure out what was happening. It was like a puzzle at a certain <laughs> points because I loved Spider-Man. I was absolutely enthralled, especially at that age. You like the, the Macaulay Culkin, Bart Simpson, like sneering attitude, teenage protagonist mm-hmm. was 100 percent up my alley. And the marketing, the character designs, you know, it's the Batman, the animated series team. Everything about it was set up to be Uh one thing. And it was one thing I desperately was like geared for. And then watching the first episode, watching, you know, everybody down, like just the, just uh, the interstitials, the fourth wall breaking. Yeah, the I was going to bring up the footage. fourth wall breaking. And I think this was before we'd really disco- became comedy nerds, discovered Monty Python, stuff like that. So we're kind of getting some of this type of comedy styling for the first time ever with Animaniacs and Freakazoid. Mm-hmm. So this was this is a long way to go about it, but like. Did you ever see like spec scripts or did you like besides just the concept arts and the character designs, did you do you have a like a, an understanding of what this OG proto freakazoid was going to be before Mr. Uh, Mr. Spielbergo decided to intervene? Uh, yeah, I had never read a script. I, I had seen, you know, stories and it, it, it was basically, you know, it was basically, uh, you know, Batman kind of vibes. But like you said, with a more sarcastic sort of sort of character. Uh, still, the stakes were there. You know, it was it was going to be true to what Paul Dini does, which is amazing stuff, and what and and what Bruce Tim obviously does. Uh, but just with a little sort of, he would wisecrack a little bit. I guess maybe not quite Deadpool, but but just sort of wisecrack about stuff as whatever he was he was doing. And um, so that probably wasn't going to be up my alley because uh, yeah, I'm a little bit weirder than you know one liners and stuff. Uh-huh. But I think that that what what Stephen ultimately wanted was. Uh, and I, we, you know, I, I don't even understand still what he wanted. Uh, <laughs> I think we delivered something, but but he wanted it to be funny. He wanted a com- comedy, yeah. you know. He was very into the an- Animaniacs thing. But, but that's really all I knew. There was art. Um, there was art of characters. And by the way, the art hardly changed at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, when Mitch wow. Shower came in, obviously, when, when he was going to produce it, he sort of, he sort of, you know, modified them a little bit. But, but Freakazoid is as Freakazoid is. Well, all the overseas animation is uh, Dong Yang slash Coco, or at least, I, obviously, there's subcontracting. It's way more complicated than that. But it's teams of uh, overseas animators that were animating Bruce Tim character designs in all the superhero shows. Yeah. But you're asking them to do all these visual comedy jokes. So (laughs) even then, there's this feeling of like, this is familiar. This is something that I'm like tuned with, but everything is warped and twisted in ways that I found so fascinating. Right. Well, what's interesting, you know, it's... 
it, when you look at some of the episodes we did, uh, we we had Dan Reba, one of the one of the directors of Batman. We had um, we had all the directors of Batman basically. Yeah, wow. Directing these, especially during the first se- season, so they they sort of um, they they did this with a verisimilitude, with, with with a truth of the sort of the Batman vibe. Mm-hmm. And then I think they would come to these lines and go. I, what do I? What do we do? Here? I don't. Know. What do we do here? There's a tension there. Yeah. There's a palpable tension there that I find so compelling yeah. in and, the Freakazoid show. And again, uh, just so holds up. It's so it works so well. Like it, as a just something I'm encountering today as a 40 year old man, <laughs> and I'm still absolutely surprised. Absolutely, yeah. Just feeling like this is wholly unique, and and you know, just really like such a fun ride. But I didn't think about that tension. I didn't really think about how that that's how that really makes it work. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like uh, you know, I mean, in a way, like you like airplane, you know, mm. how how deadpan and and straight <laughs> down the line it's played and done, but with everything's just so silly and it just works. So in a way, the you're saying the production crew was the Leslie Nielsen. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And, the production and, crew was and, the Leslie and, Nielsen and of it all. It's not that they didn't understand we're doing comedy, but it's like not, and it's just this was not their forte. I mean, obviously they mm-hmm. and, but. Tom Ruger with them. And by the way, when you're writing, you know, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. And and so all that just sort of goes out. And Tom is basically fighting all those battles and seeing storyboards and everything. Um, it was only in the se- second season where I got more in- involved with that stuff. But but it it mm. magically all kind of happened, you know. Um, uh, and we, ha- we just had an amazing... You know, kick-ass crew to like put these together, and I think, uh, and what we found during the second season is we brought some more comedy guys in mm. who would sort of joke up some of the storyboards we were doing, and it would be like, nope, uh-uh. Um, I, a good good example would be the Hello Dolly. Uh, we did a, a, like a five-minute <laughs> Hello Dolly. I was hoping we would talk yeah. Bonjour Lobby. Yeah, yeah, Bonjour Lobby. And- Another thing that uh, again, an eleven-year-old. No context. I don't. I know nothing of Hello Dolly. Yeah. I know nothing about <laughs> uh, 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 who who was Dolly. What was the what was uh, the the Lobe. classic? Uh, uh, yeah, no, no, like uh, the the uh, Barbara Streisand. Yeah, Barbara Streisand. Yeah, Barbara Streisand. yeah. I knew yeah. nothing about any of this. I like and just like I'm watching a four minute completely seriously delivered like uh, like classy little dance number that is frame by frame yeah, from the movie yeah. almost and not almost it is we ripped it off and probably should have been sued <laughs> but we were not but uh, but that that story came about alan burnett uh, who i already said you know one of the producers of batman mask of the phantasm and all that stuff he's an amazing guy and he had an idea to write a a Dexter Douglas sort of has a date, but he keeps getting zapped into different uh, TV characters because the Loeb did something, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was like, great. Uh, and then, um, but then as I sort of pondered it, I was like, well, you know, what about the Loeb? Like he, he, uh, the Freakazoid sort of foils his thing and he's sad, but he wants to go out and have some fun. And I don't know, I think my wife and I or something must have been watching <laughs> Hello Dollar. I have no idea. <laughs> But I was like, why doesn't the Lobe go and and go to the Washington Gardens, the Harmonia Gardens, and and 
And it just, it felt so dumb. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, and sometimes things just feel so dumb, you're like, oh, well, we're doing it. Right, right. We're definitely Did you get it. any pushback? Nope. I mean, was that generally the vibe? Was like, let's, hey, let's do, nope, yeah, we did that's it. And, amazing. And I remember writing, uh, basically taking the whole, like watching, and we didn't have, v, you know, every, it was the thing was VHS tape. So I'd put in the VHS tape and I'd watch that number and I would, and I would be like, okay, we're going to do that, that. And then I wrote the lyrics Gave it to Richard Stone. Richard Stone, you know, basically modified it enough so it, we didn't get sued. Um, and so wrote it, recorded it. David Warner came in. Man, David Warner, he's just a, an amazing guy. And this this amazing Shakespearean actor is just singing the stupidest stuff. <laughs> there was definitely a vibe where you all, I'm not going to, I don't want to be as crude to, I, I, I just, I literally can't think of a better term. Y'all got off on making dignified <laughs> yes, actors say we did. ridiculous we did. bullshit. Uh, yeah, no, I, I just having Ricardo Montan say, uh, yeah, chubby McFunction's chubby. I forget what it was, but I was like, <laughs> was awesome. but anyway, so, so we, we did that whole thing and then it went off to the storyboard and this isn't to disparage the storyboard people at all because they did an amazing job, but, when that Hello Dolly number came in, there was a lack of trust uh, about that this can work. So it was filled with exploding pumpkins and flying sausages. And, <laughs> and I was like, and it, it was like, it was almost like, well, it, we're not going to do this. So we actually pulled it from the last season, which is why... Which is why there's only 11 episodes in the in the first season because we just couldn't get it together. Huh. Um, come the second season, Rich Aaron's came in and he goes, "I'll I'll handle this part," <laughs> and he he just did shot for shot for shot. That's awesome. We didn't joke joke it up, and that gets back to that verisimilitude. It's like if you have serious stuff and this they're doing the stupidest shit, mm -hmm. then. It somehow works. But anyway, that's my long story. Yeah, I remember even like our most successful improv game back when I was doing it in college was just called Serious Scene. And it would <laughs> we would literally just completely seriously, <laughs> dramatically do a scene and it crushed. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. To bring us back to the timeline, Steven Spielberg says, I want this snarky teen superhero to be just a full on comedy. Right. We're going to give it to the Animaniacs guys. Right. And uh, at this point, it's not just Warner Brothers Animation. They're launching a whole ass network. UPN. You bet they are. Shook the waters. Michigan J Frog has been released from the cage. Right. And this is a massive thing. Like, this is a multi. Like, do you, did you feel the weight of like, this is a big premiere? This is a big thing for the company? Or was this just another show for you? Uh, so, I, you know, I, I tried to think back about that time. And I remember we knew there was pressure, but at the same time, uh, we didn't really worry about it too much. I mean, uh, on, 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 I mean, Tom Rugg was probably worried mm. crazily, but um, Reba McIntyre didn't knock on your like office and no. do like a little throat <laughs> slit uh, at you. <laughs> no, but I remember we thought we we thought like you know, there's I think the Sylvester and Tweety mysteries, and we're like, well, that's you know, that's just gonna be a disaster, <laughs> uh, you know, and we're like, well, we're we're you know, we're fine, uh, and then. And then I remember they finished all their scripts and we're like, we're still on the, f we haven't even started. <laughs> and we're like, well, I think that Sylvester and Tweety show is going to be pretty damn good. <laughs> so we were handed the assignment, I think late November. Um, and we were supposed to premiere in uh, September. So uh, 
Tom Ruger was like, okay, uh, we, we sat down just briefly and he said, this is the character, we gotta just go. Um, and so we just sort of started going. My first script was um, uh, Candle somebody Candle. we're not that okay yeah, i've seen yeah, the panels right, i've seen the, the, the we can say it's a character's name fine it was a meme fine. on the in the 2000s right. you can say <laughs> candlejack and nothing bad will <laughs> i hope you cut that together properly <laughs> bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, so, and, and then John's wins Dance of Doom. Um... And I think John McCann, uh, and then but while we were doing that, Tom Ruger was, he spent Christmas writing the most insane things I've ever seen. Uh, 30 second things, 40 second things, like nothing that had anything to do with superheroes, uh -huh. you know, emergency broadcast systems, all this weird <laughs> stuff. And he came back and showed us that stuff. And I was like, I don't have a clue what any of that means. Um, <laughs> and... But it was Tom that was like, that's that's what the point, guys. Um, I don't either. So we just gotta start start writing. And then it was like, well, if he's doing that weird crud, well, I think we can do that too. So <laughs> so we just started writing and and John McCann writing that first one, Dance of Doom. I think the the genius of John is John is a is a brilliant comedy writer, but he's also serious. And um he got we got he got a narrator in and I was like, oh, narrator. Good, 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 good. And then Joe Leahy came in to do the narrator and we're like, oh, that feels really good. Oh, I mean, basically, we were making it as we went along. So it was like, oh, that's good. And the Ed Asner thing, uh, Cosgrove <laughs> was supposed to be literally anybody, a one off thing, a one joke thing. Uh, but Ed Asner came in and was very Asnery, <laughs> and we're like, okay, that feels pretty good too. And then we had just seen Ed Wood at the mall in the movie theater, and and we so we were all we we're doing all these Bella Lugosi uh, movie uh, lines from Ed Wood, and and you know pull the string and all that stuff, and, that, uh -huh. and that's we started putting that in in the script, and and that's basically when we were like, okay. Basically, however we feel today, that's what the that's what the show is. That's so awesome, though. That's such a fun process. Like you know, yeah, yeah. 
I, I think the the fun and the fun translates. Like I think that's kind of like you feel that in, in when watching it. Like yeah. a bunch of people are just enjoying themselves. It's this. again, there's this tension where the jokes are so like in, weirdly intimate and specific uh-huh. to that the people making these jokes. The references are really specific. I mean, the the, the fact that like the big regular celebrity cameo of the show, or, or I mean, reoccurring role or whatever, is Ed Asner for a children's cartoon <laughs> is a joke of, <laughs> in and of itself. In a way, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like, he he was all, <laughs> I, like uh, I you know. Um, when I think back about the, you know, the recording sessions of who you had in the booth and how much fun they were and how they just, they were coming to play. Cause you know, a lot of times people come and they go, where, where, where do I stand? Right. And, right. Where are my lines? And then I'm, I'm, I'm out. Right. And, uh, and everybody just like came to play from David Warner. I think David was shooting, um, Titanic at the time and they were at some tank in Long Beach and on his days off, he'd drive up in this car in his beat up old Volvo. And I remember going to myself, why is a movie star riding a beat up Volvo? But anyway, <laughs> um, and he was just the most unpretentious guy. And he would come and do his wonderful things. And um, so, uh, yeah, it was fun. I, the, was I mean, fun. the rest of the voice cast is like a who's who of like, mm-hmm. like killers. You know, Frank Welker, Tress McNeil. Uh, Maurice LaMarche every now and again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Longhorn. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I could go on. Uh, but then, then there's then there's uh, Mr. Rugg in the mix. And not only is he, like, holding his own, he is the star. He is, you know, the, oh, talking was, the most. How did that happen? That was horrifying. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you, know, that, uh, you know, we know this, but I want to hear the kind of the story <laughs> from you and uh, without telling it to you. But you're signed on as a writer at first. All of a sudden, you you end up with the lead vo- voice role of the show. How does this all go down? So we we had been we had been writing, and um and then it was all right. Let's 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 audition. And when I tell you, we saw a ton of people, and and when every you know when when an actor gets sides, it's like he's crazy, he's nuts, <laughs> it's because we thought that's what he was. We thought, oh, he's nuts, and he does silly things, and. Everyone came in at an 11, mm. you know, like imagine the mask with a, a heap of cocaine and, <laughs> and it was, and it was like, and it was like, we all realized, oh, hell no, uh-huh. this, this is, this is, this is just too, too much. And, um, so then we, we would try to tone it down and, and, you know, they were like phenomenally good actors there, but we had no guidance for them. It was like it was like random toys in an action figure box. Yes, and you yes. just picked them uh, up yeah. and had to make them move and do things. Yeah, and and uh, and we were getting like we had to start recording like soon. So I think out of desperation, Tom said, um, "This is literally the truth. There's no joke." He said, "Get in there and and." J- and do lay down a voice track of how you think it is. So I, you know, I did a bunch of improv. I did his stuff, but voice acting, it wasn't. Had you done any up until this point? Yeah, he was yeah. Mr. Director. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I was Mr. Director. Yeah. So I I had done a bunch of voices in Animanex, but more is like, you know, why don't you go in there and do it? I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> uh, but uh, and 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 so we recorded Dance of Doom. And um, but what Tom would do. Uh, we would do like four lines or something, and then Tom would go, um, "Okay, uh, just do something nuts here." And I, you know, because my improv background, and I, I, what do you mean nuts? He goes, "Well, I just 
see where that goes. <laughs> and, um, and John McCann is sitting there as well, a, a brilliant writer. And John's like, I don't think I agreed to that. <laughs> like, you know, like, why are you, why is he going off and stuff? But, um, so I did the whole, everybody down, stop, go, enough with the down, stop. <laughs> and I remember I would be like, I would start going and Tom would be sitting there in the booth and be like, like more. <laughs> and so I'm like, everybody down, stop, go, enough with the song, stop, bring it down. Everyone inside, oh, shoo, shoo, shoo. And I'm like, should I just keep going? Because I, so I would just keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, and, uh. So then I guess Tom cut it all together. We had to write. And then it came down to, to me. And there was another guy that, that they had sort of narrowed it down to. And, and they played it for Stephen. And I think at first Stephen was horrified. He was like, oh, gosh, we're in trouble. Uh, but then he said, well, I think if you can tone Paul down, this is sort of what I was thinking. So he goes, okay, you, you do it. And then I was like, well, that's uh, okay. So I'll do that too. And, um, and I really didn't want to. I mm. really didn't want to because I was like, man, you know, the writing is one thing. Um, so, but Tom was there. And, and I think when I started getting comfortable was the Candlejack episode where, um, you know, it was just, Okay, now let's do this. Now let's do that. And Tom goes, now why don't you do the Jerry thing? And I was like, what does Jerry have to do with any of this? But, but then it's just started feeling right, you know? Uh -huh. And, and I, I did this whole, you know, I went on to this. I, it was just really dumb. Anyway, where I broke the fourth wall and I talked about the, Ed Asner being there and Kenny Mars being there and all that, that stuff. Yes, yeah, which I think is such a defining, like, moment yeah, for the yeah, it is. show. Like, kind of establishing moment for the show. And we were just, we were just, we were literally just riffing. And, but, but what that did was, it was like, oh, okay, I think I get this now. So he's going to do that. He's going to do that. And it really helped John. It helped me. It helped Paul Dini. It helped all the people that were sort of writing. They're like, okay, this is going to be, I think we know where we're going. And then based on that, the, the ad-libs became, or the, the improvisation became a lot less as we sort of identified what, what the show was. Mm. We didn't need to do that as much. Yeah, I read that, uh, you know, there was a lot less improv, especially in like season two. And I yeah. also wanted to talk about how, because the show definitely also just changes quite a bit from season one to season two. And yeah. What, what that was and, and how, how y'all came to that and all that stuff. Well, uh, so... Um, we finished season one, um, and we started sending stuff to Steven, and he's like, yeah, this is, this is crazy. I, I, this is nuts, and this <laughs> is weird, and I'm really happy. Uh, and I was like, are you sure? Like, okay. Um, and the, the show, the network reception to the show, like there were some people at the network, uh, especially the guys ahead of marketing and promos and stuff, they were 100% on board. They were like, this is crazy. <laughs> However, the people in power, I think they thought it was a major piece of poopy. Mm. And um, they were trying to figure it out. So when season two came around, Tom Ruger was going to go do Road Rovers. Mm. And Gene McCurdy sort of asked John McCann and I, well, why don't you produce it? And we we're like, because we don't want to. Gene McCurdy, the head of Warner Brothers Animation at the time, has is part of the team that ushered in all of these shows. Yeah, that Gene is... Jean is the reason everybody had a good childhood. Um, <laughs> she is, she is, I call her mom to this day. Oh. She was amazing. She was the best, best boss I ever had. 
hands down. Who'd win in a knuckle-down drag-out fight? Her or Fred Siebert? Uh, Gene. Yeah. <laughs> Would win. Uh, Gene was our champion, our friend. She was am- amazing. She <laughs> Gene would say this. She went, she'd go, I don't know what you're doing. I don't care. Just don't get me in trouble. And then she'd, and then she'd sort of skip down the hall and go, I don't really know what's going on. Um, and she knew exactly what's going on, but she was like, just never embarrass me and we'll all be good. And I will fight any battle you need. So, so we were there and she goes, well, we're going to go all go meet the WB. And I think Steven was there, and we we all had a conversation, and the WB decided that the reason why Freakazoid was so bad was um, that didn't make any sense. Fools. So they said, so what we're going to do is, let's try to tell stories mm. uh, of a half hour long. So we had to jettison all the little pieces, right. all the like Lord bravery and the huntsman, and, um, and just focus on longer stories. Uh, and John and I are like, well, yeah, fine, we'll tell longer stories. But we had no intention of making more sense. Right. If anything, people said the second season, got, it got more surreal. Yeah. So more for me, yeah. Python-esque. For me, more, yeah. I'm a big fan of the second season because I was like, like, wow, we can like tell us, st- like, it's not really about the story. It's about how you get there. Sort of like, you know, uh, but we had, a, a, I had a ton of fun in sec- second season, but uh then the suggestion was, well, uh, we also have another idea. And we were like, so what that? They go, well, how would you feel about putting a laugh track behind the show? Mm. And we were like, wait, wait, so how does that work? And they go, well, you know, we, we have people and they'll just, they'll <laughs> tell the kids when it's to like laugh. A, it's like a drug deal. Yeah. yeah. We have people. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, boy, I think that's a bad idea. And then yeah, Stephen, Stephen was like, "No, that's a really bad idea." So, wait, was this before or after Screamavision and Relaxovision? Were you openly after? This after. was a- so you had already openly mocked the concept of prompting uh, the audience to react yeah. to odds yeah. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, yeah. canon things. Yeah. You have like you had without even consulting been like, "Hey, isn't this the dumbest thing ever when the <laughs> thing tries to prompt you to feel something?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, and we yeah, and I don't yeah. So we we thoroughly rejected it, and then Stephen sort of backed us up, and he goes, "No, we're, we're good." And then, and then we just got weird. Um, <laughs> we just uh, it was primarily John McCann and I writing. He would write a week, uh, the week show. I would write the week show, and we would just sort of be doing these back to back. And we had we had help. We had some some great uh, people, uh, Lisa Malone and Mitch Watson, and. Um, and we would just basically keep pl- plugging along, and we were always late, and was always in trouble with the production manager. And and um, uh, but we brought in Rich Aaron's to sort of produce our second season, and he did Animaniacs, so he sort of understood us. We sort of knew him, um, and it was it was fun. But then we got the word. I think we're still in production, and they're like, "Look, we're not gonna do." anymore mm. and so we're gonna cut it off at this point and we we're still writing so we did know we were canceled um and then that's where gene mccurdy was like oh screw it let's get norm abram for our last episode and i was like i'm in 100 <laughs> let's do it so uh yeah that's amazing um it's there's something really that that the whole run I re, again these this is all primordial childhood memories watching this show <laughs> every week something like you could never just take it for granted what was going to happen you know you would have uh, a, the running gag where the announcer Joe Leahy was like 
in deus ex machina-ing feeding characters valuable information and being like, you can't do that. You're the announcer. (laughs) He's like, I just want to be a part of something. (laughs) It's so great. Uh, When you did get rid of the interstitials and you had all the characters like Lord Bravery and the huntsman just be like, so what's the deal? Like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> like, you never got that much of an inside track as a kid. You know, yeah. uh, you'd watch the Flintstones and one year they'd be like, the Great Gazoo is a thing now. Just right, deal right, with it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so getting that insider like connection felt so revolutionary and so interesting. Mm. And the fact that I, I, I watch a lot of, I delve into a lot of this like 80s, 90s animation stuff. And knowing that like, all of this was hand-painted cell animation. It's yep. very high quality. It's not like, you know, it's not like a Jay Ward, Rocky and Bullwinkle limited kind of thing. These are people at the height of their craft building this show frame by frame, telling the most silliest jokes. Mm-hmm. And kind of after Freakazoid went away in, what was, what was it, 90, what was the last, 96, 97? 97, yeah. 97, June so, of 97, yeah. Uh, within two years, we're in 99 and Pokemon's on the air and right. the entire landscape changes and we move away from this high quality, cell-painted, yeah. kind of uh, more creator-driven thing and now we're just recycling Japanese toy commercials to be even sillier because we have to do extra layers of censorship. Right. Because for some reason in Japanese toy commercials, there's a lot of guns and smoke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of like how you were talking about Animaniacs being your first job so you didn't realize you were part of something special. I think think us as kids kind of took it for granted like how (laughs) special that time in animation really was for us. Because again, yeah, I mean, that was just, uh, you know, also I got older and, you know, Started watching, you know, real live action humans no, uh, do gross. comedy on TV. <laughs> gross. Yeah, yeah. There, there was, yeah, there was, uh, there was. Uh, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I can't, I can't say enough that that uh, it was it, it, the streamlined process. Of there were very few people to report to. I, we, I reported to Tom Ruger, and Stephen would read everything. What and. You know, uh, that was it. And it was like... You're telling me all those jokes you made about the censors and standards and practices was just you being cheeky little bastards? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. We made a, we made a censor cry once. Or I... I uh, wait, that, wait, wait. That, that, that was on weird? Animaniacs. Yeah, for, for real. Uh, I, <laughs> I, wrote an, I wrote one that was just uh, the censor trying to tell Yakawaka Dot what they couldn't do. Mm. And, um, and uh, it never was made. Uh, it was shelved quietly because we got back from the censor that it, she was in tears as she read. Oh. So I was like, okay, fine. But that wasn't our intention. Right. Uh, or maybe maybe it was. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, we had no interference like ever. Um, that's amazing. Uh, from the, the directors to everything. Like, okay, that's what you want to do. That's weird, but we're going to all do it. What's, uh, uh, and I know we'll wrap up soon. I know we, we have, uh, uh, we're getting on time, but. I did want to ask, uh, what it, how much like direct interaction did you have with Steven Spielberg, and and like what was he lo- like? Uh, so Steven was, uh, you know, so it's, <laughs> you ever meet people and you go, that's exactly what you should be doing. Like, yeah, you're doing what. So Steven's one of those where you go, oh yeah, that's like this is your thing. Like he, like he's he's uh, he rarely played ever. The whole like, well, I'm Steven Spielberg. Uh-huh. Uh, he was just like, uh, he was he was a fan of animation. He's a fan of comedy. He's a fan of things. And he would, you know, he was making Schindler's List at the time. Wow. He's doing all so he's becoming the like, 
I mean, he was going from just giant blockbuster director and becoming this, you know, because once we get into uh, Schindler's List, there's kind of a sea change with him in terms of the way he's revered as a director, even. Right. I mean, and he moves more into like prestige, like Oscar type fare. Right. right. And yeah. Warhorse. Yeah. 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 And Warhorse. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Ouch. Um, he would he would he would come come to the office uh, about every couple months or something and always get lost in the parking garage and someone would go get him. <laughs> um, but it was just it was very like you know it was, it was like well, let's do this let's do that and then he we'd see scripts and then we would get a memo like hey I like this I like this I like this and then sometimes he would just go crazy like I wrote. Something about the Motion Picture Association of America, and I was just I was just trying to think of a joke to begin my thing. And I'm Jack Valenti, and he used to be the president. And Stephen read it, and it was a phone call, and it was like, "What is it?" And it was like, "We can get Jack Valenti," <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, "Do oh, that was just a joke." And he was like, "No, I know, I know, but we can make fun of the Motion Picture Rating System." And I was like, "I don't think that's so funny, but okay." I mean, famously, Spielberg was the guy that helped make PG thirteen a thing, so yeah. like, yes. he had skin in that game. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, he, w- yeah, he just he really liked it, and then he would send, like I said, send memos. I like this. I, I like that. And then when we won the Emmy after having been canceled, by the way. Um, we he showed up at the offices uh Warner Brothers to um to pick up his Emmys and uh, we had two cuz we won four Animaniacs and four Freakazoid that year so he was like mm, this, this is great and he was just about to get on a plane to go to uh uh England to do uh Saving Private Ryan because we're like hey what's the movie you're working on he goes <laughs> oh it's about this thing it's about this thing and I'm like wow that sounds really brutal um and he said, man, I, he goes, where's my, where's my uh, free Freakazoid Emmy? And we go, well, it's right here. And he goes, that's the one I really wanted. Oh. And we're like, oh, okay. So that was cool. That's yeah. awesome. It was fun. I had only one more thing I wanted to ask about. I, I'm not, yeah. not sure what for you, Jake. There is definitely, having rewatched the show for the first time with adult eyes, um, another thing that I feel like really set it apart, that made it special, that made it resonate on a very specific frequency for uh, kids of a certain indoor persuasion of the early to mid 90s uh, is the fact that the Dexter Douglas lore uh, involves uh, upgrading your computer with aftermarket CPUs, uh, Internet addiction, uh, Mm -hmm. video games. Um, There's an entire episode where he just gets lost in a mall virtual reality console. And I know (laughs) exactly which mall virtual reality game you were parodying, which is such a highly specific thing. Were you guys just total nerds? I mean, a lot of this lore came from you, right? This is... Um, I, a, a huge reason why Freakazoid kind of got a second life in reruns is as more kids were connecting to the internet and spending time on forums, a lot of these, you know, the, oh, that's so very, very sad, uh, <laughs> yeah. became really resonant and pressing at the time. Were you like just spending all day on CompuServe? Where did that no, come no, By the so, way, I have a whole section of my notes called Internet Culture Prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, so we, the internet had just become a thing, right? I remember one of the writers coming in and going, have you heard about something called the web? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, you know, you would dial in and you would, and... I rarely went on it, but then Peter Hastings would come in and go, hey, there's a chat where they're talking about Animaniacs. You should go listen or, you know, sneak in. And I was like, 
people are what? <laughs> and, and you know, we, I remember dialing in and the AOL sound and all that stuff. And then I remember the hardest time getting from AOL to wherever this thing was that I had to go. Um, so that's something we were doing and it was so new and it was so on our minds. It's not that we were like computer guys or anything, but it was like the thing to do. Mm. Um, and then when we were thinking about Freakazoid, uh, I think I think we just decided, hey man, it's the internet. It's it's that's what it's going to be, and we're gonna we're gonna make it that because John McCann and I were thinking originally, and I've said this a million times, but it's true. It's if, sure how we were thinking was like, well, how does Dexter become Freakazoid? And we were like, well, it's probably there's a there's a there's a shock and his his garage door opener, and and I remember that's that for a moment that's what was going to be. And then Ruger's like, nah, it's got to be the internet. Mm. So you just had a gut feeling just having logged on to a couple of chat rooms being like, I feel like this is going to break people in about 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah this yeah, is yeah, going to yeah. ruin yeah. minds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and we just, we were just going with the thing at the, at the, at, of the, of the time. Uh, anything else before I uh, uh, kind of tee us up with the final question? I guess... Uh, having watched a lot of footage from panels, and I know you'll be doing more panels, you'll be doing a lot of appearances at a lot of conventions in the coming year, and I, I will obviously plug those in a second, but um, <laughs> the uh, fans, the fans that come in and are, honest to God, freakazoid, like diehards, they know all the quotes, they know all the episodes, mm-hmm. they, they, got, they got a spark in them, they got a magical energy from this, like, from your perch, from your throne <laughs> of uh, of weird 1950s references, mm-hmm. what do you th- feel like is a uniting factor? What makes, what is, what kind of people are drawn to Freakazoid and are still fans of it to this day? Um, th- feel when, free to really just dump on them if you yeah, want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. When people come up, they mostly, so it was like me. When I discovered Python mm. and I was in eighth grade and I was like, Saturday Night Live would be on. Maybe that was when I was in 11th grade when it first started. Uh-huh. But before that, our station would run Python. And I remember reacting so much more to Python than I did to Saturday Night Live. Mm. Like I was like, Python, man, what are they? This is insane. How are they getting away with this? <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> Um, that's that me nothing, watching Freakazoid, man. Yeah, yeah. that nothing ever ends. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Just, like they don't end a sketch; it just <laughs> goes into another one. Um, so for me, that was like gold. And then Quest for the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think when people talk about Freakazoid, obviously, you know, we were just sort of me, John McCann, was sort of like paying homage to what we thought was funny or what shaped our sense of humor. And so many people will come up and go, man, Freakazoid shaped my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Or it's where it's what made me laugh. And I was like, man, there's people like me out there or whatever. So I think I think it's it's from a clearly comedic, a different sort of comedy that we were doing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there were there were no jokes. We didn't do any jokes. Uh, we just did a, a mood and a feeling and weird. And um, so and it's so funny, people that, that come to the tables and stuff, and I bring my daughter with me a lot of the time, and, and they'll always go, your dad, man, <laughs> your dad invented my childhood. <laughs> and, um, and that's awesome. But it's mostly uh, um, people in their 40s 
who bring their kids yeah, or people in their mid-30s and the kids stand there going, I'm going to show them Freakazoid tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and the, the kid is always like, I don't know what that is and I hate it. I, we have a dad in our like little group. We do this little like th- thing with our listeners um, who talked about how it's super held up for their kid. Yeah. And they just started showing them the episodes. Yeah. That's cool. Pretty just cool. Singing the Invisibo song to a swaddled <laughs> newborn. And uh, I know you got to get out of here. I just wanted to ask. I have this great quote from you about the last episode and how y'all decided to spend every penny and go out with a big bang. Yep. The most cast members ever crammed into yep. the recording studio. I just wanted to just if you had uh, you know anything else to say about that uh, uh, it uh, was, experience. It was the most fun. It was um, the it was the Norm Abram episode, and and the Norm Abram episode came from the fact that Gene McCurdy had gone to a PBS convention because she's president of Warner Brothers Animation. She was always networking and she came back in. And I don't know if you guys know that this old house, but this old house was a show uh, on PBS. Mm-hmm. Where we were a Bob Via household. Right, it good. was uh, right. very contentious. All right, good, good, good. So, <laughs> so um, she goes, I met Norm Abram. And I was like, oh man, Norm Abram. <laughs> I love Norm Abram. And she goes, wouldn't it be funny if we could get him? And I go, she goes, I, we have one more script to write. Um, and she goes, she won, and I'll go, Gene, I got it. You get Norm Abram there, and I'll write the script. So she, within a 30 seconds, I think we had an agreement, Norm Abram was going to fly out and do our show. And I was like, wow, that's great. So I thought I was going to write this, uh, this old freak you know, like this old house. <laughs> and Norm Abram would help Freakazoid redesign the freak And that was my idea. And it was like, poo-poo. I wrote for a week and I'm like, this is one joke that's going nowhere. And I was like, I hate this. And I was like, what do I do? Norm Abram is coming. We, we can't stop it. <laughs> and uh, was, he's coming. Such he's a, coming to the show. Such joke. a menacing sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's coming. And I, when I write, I listen to music and sometimes I listen to soundtracks, sometimes I listen to Casca And I was listening to Mozart, the Amadeus. And it just hit me. What if the lobe is Salieri in uh, in um, Amadeus? In um, um, Amadeus, and then I I was like, nah, that's, that's stupid. And then I go, oh man, I think I understand. Like I got it. So that's I got everything. And he'll kidnap Norm Abram, and and I think I wrote that in like two days and stuff. And and um, so then we recorded it. Um. And we had literally Ricardo Montalban, Ed Asner, David Warner, um, Norm Abram, um, uh, just everybody. And um, uh, they just, and Jonathan Harris, Jonathan Harris, who was this amazingly, <laughs> Polly, my boy, uh, <laughs> he, was, he was amazing. Um, and we were all crammed in this thing and we sang, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when. And I didn't know that that wasn't public domain. Uh, <laughs> so when I found out it was, I had to go to Gene McCurdy. And, I, and we found out it was going to be an incredible amount of money. I think it was like $12,000 mm. to license it. And I went into Gene and I said, Gene, can, can, would, can you please, can I, can we like, can, Gene, here's the deal. I need Gene, please. <laughs> I need $12,000 to license this song. She was like, I got Kubrick's number on speed dial. I can make it happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, she like, okay, I don't want to hear anymore. Don't, ah, you know, ran away. And um, we licensed it and we sang it. And it was, ah, it was so fun. It was, and Norm Abram, God love him, 
stood there and sang with all these amazing characters. That's awesome. So fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this, Paul Rugg. You're welcome. Uh, you're a legend. It's, oh, thank it's you. Amazing to have you. Uh, and yeah, I just this was awesome. So uh, appreciate your time. Well, you shaped you. my sense of humor. You shaped my childhood. <laughs> I guess I'll introduce my daughter to the show in a few years. Uh, I, w- oh yeah, uh, plugs, please. Do you have anything uh, coming up? You uh, wanna... Cons, but I don't know when they are. But coming soon to one near you. It's me and Tom Ruger. We sort of go together and we do the the Freakazoid Animaniacs look at us and buy a button tour. It's very phenomenal. <laughs> there awesome. is facts and clips and things that we did not even get into in this talk. So if you want to well, know Well, then more, we should do it again. Yeah. Should, oh, I would, oh I will God, do yeah, this I again with to. you. Oh, oh my absolutely. God. We'll do part two. Uh, yeah. No, we're doing an Earth to Net episode. What, we, we already did this. I would love to do... <laughs> I, let me just talk about Earth real quick. I, <laughs> sure. I, I, I know I should. I, obviously, the robot suit hurt your body. The pivot, <laughs> you know, the motors would dig into your body. I, I trained for months on that, on that rig and all I did was... Was the mouth and the voice, right? So, but I had to do it all live and stuff. And we had seven other pup- puppeteers, and I was so bummed that we didn't at least get a second season because yeah. it was so much fun to do. <laughs> one, okay, wait, one yeah. quick. I know, yeah. I know, we're really stretching your time yeah. here. Uh, one quick question. When you did start training for the Earth to Net thing, are you a big enough pop culture weirdo that you're like, oh my God, it's the thing from the MGM Studios Muppet 3D thing? Because yeah. like yeah. Their, their digital motorized puppet thing is like half that show is them talking about that. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, you know what? I mean, well, f- uh, f- first of all, when Brian told me that I got the gig, Brian Henson called me. He goes, Paul, congratulations. You know, you're going to be Ned. And he goes, now I'm just going to tell you this, and it's not to annoy you or scare you but it's the most complicated animatronic head we've ever built and i'm putting it in your hands don't blow it <laughs> and he wasn't talking about the performance he was literally being like if you move too suddenly it will explode <laughs> yeah 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 so um uh and then we would meet at the jim henson creature shop uh shortly thereafter for a month and it was drew massey it was everybody and we would just I would learn how to do, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, blah, blah, blah. You know, your hand is in what they call a Waldo, and you go like that, and it sends signal to the mouth, and the mouth, it just what they're developing, it would go, eh, <laughs> and it would stop. And I'm go, this is the work. This is terrible. This is never going to work. And Brian would be like, no, no, it's it's going to work. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's ever going to work, because there's seven people making the character come alive. I'm like, nope, this, this is terrible. And then one day... Everybody just made it work, and I was like, "Well, this is like a real creature. This is bizarre." So, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I loved the show. I loved being able to, you know, they wrote a bunch of stuff, and then I got to just sort of, kind of do free form whatever, and that was a blast. And so, yeah, and we shot it on the Chaplin lot at the Henson Studio. So there was a lot of like, you know, you'd walk in work going, "We're making something cool," and Disney, of course, will hate it. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. All right. There you go. Thanks so much for your All time. Right, guys. And uh well, hey, let's do it again. There you go. There you go. Okay, man. I would love to. All right. Bye everyone. Have Bye. Fun. Take care.
Thanks, everybody, for joining us for this episode on Freakazoid with Paul Rugg. We hope you had a great time and as much fun as we had uh, talking to him. Uh, if you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We do weekly bonus content for $5 a month. And for $15 a month, you can join us over on Discord for our Sunday study session. This time, we watched a bunch of Freakazoid and laughed our pants off. And then I had to put my pants back on. <laughs> It was weird. Uh, also, uh, catch me on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I stream Monday through Friday and always having a good time over there. Uh, and I think that's it for me, Jake. Really just have to push the push all the buttons to just let you know if you want to support this show, the Patreon is the best way to do it. Uh, the bonus episodes. If you're like, God, I really like listening to this podcast. I wish there was hundreds of hours of extra content that I haven't heard yet. Boy, oh boy, wait till you see the bonus feed over on Patreon. You're going to love it. Uh, also, hey, uh, the release the butthole cut tour is uh, going to be coming around again uh, at the end of the summer. So look over at the dates at lastpodcastnetwork.com. See if we're coming to a town near you. Uh, we'd love to see you IRL. And, uh, oh, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared, where I do my weekly cartoon watch along stream, The Cartoon Dumpster. It is a giggle fest. That, and that you can take to the bank. And hey, always remember never stop bruising and keep on whizzing, no matter how much they beg you to stop. Good Lord, <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio... And producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.